We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. And as such a podcast that is dedicated to discussing women's lives and their truths and their stories, I am particularly just devastated when I am recording this podcast thinking about what has happened with Roe v. Wade. And even in just off the top of my head, of the episodes, of the books this podcast has covered alone, I can think of Ashley Judd. She had an abortion. Sinead O'Connor had an abortion. Cecily Strong had an abortion. Margaret Cho had an abortion. Viola Davis, whose book we just read, she had an abortion. Sally Field had an abortion. And um, in her book and in several books of women of an older generation, they had what they had in common is that they would go to Tijuana to get abortions because that's the only place that offered it. And it was an extremely traumatizing experience in Sally Field's book and life. And she was just a teenager. She's sexually assaulted when it happens. She's, it's just awful. And the, the, what's happened is, is uh, it's, it's, (laughs) they just took our reproductive rights away and and the, the part where I like start to really spiral and rage is sort of wondering what they could accomplish next. And so what I'm focusing my energy on is thinking of all of the women who came before us um, and the women in these books who lived a horrific reality that is now our reality. And they found a way to turn it around and get political change. And I know we're going to do the same. And it's just going to be, it just fucking sucks. (laughs) And one thing I'm thinking about is the quote that you overestimate what you can accomplish in a month, but you underestimate what you can accomplish in a year. And, you know, the Republican Party has been planning to overturn Roe v. Wade for a decade I mean, so much went into it and people have seen it coming and they did it, but that means we can do it too. And it might take a long time. It might not be fast. We might need our own decade ahead, but I really personally, (laughs) new record, I'm crying in the intro. (laughs) I want to be ready to fight. I want it. And I, and I, 
feel so tired. I feel so tired and beat down from the news and what's happened. And I feel like you listening might feel the same. Like I'm just so tired and we've been voting, we've been donating and, and it's so tough. And yet I know for myself, I am in too privileged a position to be tired because it's time to fight. And, you know, as Ashley, um, Ashley Seaford tweeted, uh, well, sucks for you because you've just made an enemy out of me. And that's how I feel like, all right, you've made an enemy out of me. And for everyone listening, they've made enemies out of us. For anyone not listening, like think of all the enemies they just made. And I know the types of people who listen to this podcast. I know my friends, like we're going to fight. And so in the meantime, <laughs> as we get it together, Plan C is available. Abortion pills are extremely safe. They are safer than Tylenol. Can you believe? And if you Google uh, Plan C pills or uh, plancpills.org, they are, they are mailed. They are available to any woman who needs access to an abortion. And many states still have abortion access available. New Mexico is one of them, which I'm so proud of. And there are organizations who will pay for women to uh, and find transportation for them to get the care they need and and I feel like um, many people might not need that but there are other people who need to hear that so I think just passing the information around is is one of the most powerful things we can do and getting it to places and groups and communities that need the information and in the meantime we are going to continue (laughs) to get our spirits vibrant and ready to be enemies. I'm ready to be an enemy of the state. <laughs> um, Brett Kavanaugh, I'm coming for you. Um, so him particular, oh, he gets me so bad. But this week we are, um, our book, I'm really excited about it. So I'm actually recording this intro. It is Wednesday, June 29th. But we recorded this podcast episode um, a month or two ago, a long time ago. So I'm about to throw to our old pre-recorded intro, but we are doing Carrie Fisher's book this week. And Carrie Fisher would be so fucking livid at what just happened. And she would be so loud because she really, really fought for women's rights. And she was loud about it and, and, and fierce about it. And she'd be so mad. And so I'm so glad we're covering her book this week. And now I'm going to throw to our old intro where we talk about Carrie Fisher's memoir. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of female celebrities. I'm your host, Chelsea Vantes. I am a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes an in stuff too. Now this week, we are book clubbing Carrie Fisher's memoir, published in 2008, titled Wishful Drinking. It's a perfect title. Honestly, it's a perfect book. Uh, This book was taken from her one-woman show of the same title. There's an HBO doc about it, and it now holds the honor of funniest memoir I have ever read, and I can't wait to discuss it. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. That was Carrie's famous speech in Star Wars. It's used in the book as this brilliant callback and the the ender to her show. So let's dive in with our incredible guest, Tori Dunlap. Hi, Tori. Hi, thanks for having me. This is like my ideal scenario is I get to read a book for work and then talk about it. That's like my favorite. I'm so excited. Okay, you're a rare breed. Some people are like, ugh, I have to read a book, but that's also my favorite. Mm, no, I'm. I this was the perfect assignment for me. I ripped through this in maybe one to no two sittings. It was fast. Same, same. I also ripped. It's such a great read. Okay, before we dive in, let me give you a bio. Tori is an investor, feminist, podcast host, and social media presence. She is the founder of her first 100K, a financial education company, and she uses her platform to help women make more, spend less, and feel financially confident. And she hosts the podcast Financial Feminist which is just so good. Um, And Tori, I usually intro my guests with the story of how we first met, but 
this is us meeting for the first time now. Yes. Um, but I was so drawn to you because of your podcast. I was dying to have you on. So tell me why you chose this book out of all the books. Yeah, I grew up a huge Star Wars fan. Um, I have a lot to say about Disney buying Star Wars. I don't think it's real Star Wars. So mm-hmm. like my like OG prequel original trilogy like that's what I grew up on I was the nerd yes. who read the like full history of the Star Wars extended universe wait like, that so was all those me. books those like YA books oh, that God, came out yeah oh yeah <laughs> amazing. that was amazing me. I know I know all of it and so you know I obviously know Carrie Fisher from Star Wars but also you know with her her passing away pretty tragically a couple years ago I've just I've loved learning more about her and she's incredibly I'm sure we'll talk about this, but incredibly not only intelligent and talented, but just so vulnerable and open. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to read Wishful Drinking, and this was the perfect opportunity for me to do I that. I love that. You know, it's funny because this book has been recommended to me so many times that wow. I, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but when people like hype something up, you, you sort of are like, eh, I'm going to push it off. And like, yeah. I've been a Carrie Fisher fan. Um, I know the the thing I love about her is that she used to do script doctoring. So we think of her as this actress, but like she would fix other people's screenplays. She's written novels. She's written screenplays. And so I don't know why I pushed this off and I'm so happy you chose it because this is one of the best things I've ever read (laughs) ever. I love that. Yeah. I think, I think it's one of those things where you are excited to talk about something or excited to read something. And then you almost don't want to, it's like reading, like meeting your heroes, right? You're Mm -hmm. like, what if it's disappointing? And it's almost easier to like, you know, me with Timothy Chalamet, right? It's easier to dream that he is the pristine, beautiful creature that in my head I know he is yes. versus the potential meeting and being disappointed. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's why it was like, oh, I would love to read this, but also I'll get around to it eventually. Yeah, like what if it isn't great? I will say one of the things that um, I, I I know you do a lot of writing as well, but like one of the things this book really taught me is how much better your writing gets when you have to perform it. Because I think the thing that makes this book so good is that it's kind of a script from her one woman show. And so there's no word that takes up space. There's nothing too overly indulgent because she's performing. She's in a rhythm. She's getting laughs. It really reminded me that like everything I write, I should pretend like I'm going to perform it because the book is so funny and it's so short. It's short. It's 156 pages. It does, though, feel, this is probably one of my only critiques, is that it does feel like a transcript of a show. It doesn't that's exactly necessarily what it feel is. like a book. It is, yes. right? Yeah. And so I think that that's one thing that I would love just a little more extrapolation and if it, for it to feel a little more like a book. Because, yep. yeah, this this is super thin. It's big font, right? And it literally, a lot of pictures, which is great. But, yeah, it feels like a transcript of a speech or a you know a one-woman show put in a book which is what it was so I think that's my one critique is I want a little more meat and that's it very valid very valid okay so let's begin first off it's going to be hard to recap this book more than normal because like Tori just said like it's short it doesn't it's short it's not on a timeline I underlined things on every page which is difficult but I want to begin with um Really, my favorite quote of all time that I think I need to frame. Okay, it goes on page 17. I have to start by telling you that my entire existence could be summed up in one phrase. And that is, if my life wasn't funny, it would just be true. And that is unacceptable. (laughs) I said, that's going in a frame uh, on my wall forever. Um, Do you subscribe to that that motto as well? I feel like it's... it's a perfect summation of what her life and her book is. And I think probably her mission statement has to be all of the tragedy I've been through, unless I find something funny in it, right? It's just awful. Yeah. And I think that's what she does so well is she talks about all of these incredibly heavy, vulnerable topics with just such levity in a way that you can tell she's processed a lot of this and has also gotten to the end where she's just like, we're going to make a joke out of it because what else are we going to do? Yeah. And oh, so yeah. it is a beautiful way of living. I mean, if it's not funny, it's sad. And sad is so much harder to right. uh, deal with every right. day. <laughs> right. Um, I It was so inspiring. And then earlier in the book, she wrote this paragraph. So for anyone who d- doesn't know, Carrie Fisher, uh, her mom is Debbie Reynolds, the movie star. Her dad is Eddie Fisher, the singer. And she wrote, um, 
Later on, I worked out that my mother's appearance in the classic film Singing in the Rain was not unlike my own appearance in Star Wars. When she made that film, she was 19 and co-starred with two men. I was also 19 when I made Star Wars and appeared opposite two men. How this is relevant, I have no idea. Maybe I was just grasping around for a sense of continuity. Okay, did you know she was 19 in that film? I knew she was young. I didn't know she was that young. I, I mean, I... First off, what is it with the 80s and 90s producing teenagers that look like they're 40? Like, it's just constant. Like, constantly. Or the exact opposite, hiring 40-year-olds to play, like, high school seniors. I oh, feel like there's more and more of that, too. Like, Riverdale, like, you're fucking, like, 32. Sorry. Okay, very Why true. Why are you 17? But, yes, in the 80s and 90s, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she did not look... Uh, the thing is, like, she looks very young. I didn't know she was a teenager. I didn't know that either. And, um... So, uh, Mark Hamill's 70. He was born in 51. I believe the first Star Wars came out, was it 78? So, he was, what, 51, 77. They probably filmed in 76. 25? Yeah, so about 25. Um, yep, and then let's see Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, so he was like 30. Yeah, Wow, I expected Carrie Ooh. to be like 25 herself. But yeah, she was a teenager. She's a baby. Well, and, and we also know that they had an affair. She's talked about it later. She doesn't talk about it in this book, but she and Harrison Ford had a brief affair. That which makes sense because their chemistry totally. is oh, so strong totally. in that movie and their yeah. anger towards each other. Um, yes. That's right. And people always wanted to know and she didn't admit it till way later. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was a couple years before she died actually because she wrote a second book. I think then another great episode round two, but um, her, I think second memoir, she talks briefly where she's like, yeah, Harris and I had a brief, brief fling. Which while I'm like, yep, I totally get it. Now we know that a 30 year old man was having a fling with a 19 year old on the set. Just right. Saying. I mean, I think it was a little later. I think it was maybe movie five or six when she would have been early 20s but still the age gap is not. Oh, and you're going five or six, but still the, prequels right five or, yeah five or six trilogy yeah so empire strikes back return of the jedi would have been five six yeah so yeah yeah original star wars if it came out in 77 probably filmed in 75 or 76 so yeah she was 19 crazy okay i can't we're gonna get into the star wars section a little bit i can't wait i didn't know you were a star wars fan so i'm really excited oh, yeah. to talk about this with you first let's talk about the story of her parents which i did not know so who yeah uh, oh so good okay so Father is a singer, mother's a movie star. They're America's sweethearts, and they're gorgeous, and there's pictures of them everywhere, and Carrie and her brother are like the perfect kids, and they're best friends with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and her husband, to the point that her father is Elizabeth Taylor's husband's best man in the wedding, and Debbie Reynolds washes Elizabeth Taylor's hair the night before they get married, because these are, it's a couple, they're friends. So then, Elizabeth Taylor's husband dies, And Carrie wrote this, which is a testament to what a good writer she is. Oh, and so Elizabeth's husband was Mike Todd at the time. Because about a year later, Mike Todd took off in a private plane in a rainstorm, and the following morning, Elizabeth was a widow. Well, naturally, my father flew to Elizabeth's side, gradually making his way slowly to her front. Um, And her her dad leaves Debbie Reynolds to marry Elizabeth Taylor, um, which... This is a little detour, but I did a, I'm getting married this year. So I was doing a wedding storyline of all of Elizabeth Taylor's looks on my Instagram and right in the middle, I think it's her fifth marriage. She's wearing, it's like the silhouette is stunning. It's like a a green hooded veil, very Star Wars-esque, but it's green. It's like a weird green color and the guy's in a brown suit and it kind of looks like a dour marriage. Like of all her looks, you're like, oh, this is a downbeat. Um, oh, I'm, I'm literally, I Googled it. Oh, right? she looks, it looks like a nightgown. Yeah. It's, the one, it's, it's like a crown of flowers. Is it that one? No, that one's Richard Burton. Got, oh, look up that the, looks like a nightgown. Yes, but her oh, headpiece, so say. great. But no, yep. the Eddie Fisher one, it's a green hood. I'll post it on my Instagram too for anyone who wants to see. Happy to do oh. an, another Elizabeth Taylor wedding look story. Yes, but please. It's this kind of dour looking wedding. And as I read this book, she put, Carrie put a picture of the wedding in the book and I was like, oh my God, that's, it was to Carrie's dad when they have this 
green dress wedding. I'm looking um, at it. The one with the hood, right? Yeah. Yeah, it the hood. Like, yeah, I love. It's a very Princess Leia, ironically. Very Princess Leia, um, yeah. Yeah, she looks, it looks very, like, you know, specific to that time. But yeah, she looks like she's going to a funeral. Do I dare say it? Yes. Like, it and looks I think it's funeral like, was she like, oh, I'm a widow marrying my husband's best friend. This is the vibe. Like, you I know what no I mean? She's idea. like, what do you wear when you're marrying your husband's best friend after he died? Mm, yeah. Green, green, a hood. Like, <laughs> green on a wedding day is a choice. Like, it oh, is, real choice. that is a choice. It's not a vibrant green. It's a dour green. No, I'm gonna, no. I'm gonna, it's like wallpaper green. Wallpaper green. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So that's to Carrie's dad. Then she leaves him immediately to marry Richard Burton, which uh, I find hilarious because if he does, Eddie Fisher deserved that. Um, and then Debbie, her mom, goes on to marry men who steal all of her money, which brings me to my one little weird memory. When I was a kid, we were in Las Vegas for like a family vacation and we stayed at the Debbie Reynolds Hotel. And it was my one memory is being in the pool and there were cockroaches everywhere. Oh, my and there God. was this like one security guy and he was like, I'm sorry, I am the cleaning staff for the whole hotel. And the hotel was so run down and decrepit. And reading this, I was like, oh, because, like, she had all her money stolen. Oh, my God. That's awful. I know. And I think that hotel later closed. It better have. It had to have. Yeah. The health code (laughs) violation at some point. I know. Yeah. Wow. Um, But I love that history. And then the book really gives you everything that is in the book. She gives it to you up front, which is a – so we'll take a totally random tangent. She had a Republican friend named Greg – who died in her bed at a party uh, a few years before she wrote this book, um, which I, I, I <laughs> it's so intense. And she is very clear to say she's like, isn't he gay? He's her, yeah, her yeah. who's gay. Yeah, she's like, he's in bed with me, not for any sort of fun reason, right? It's like, yeah. and then she's like, I woke up next to my friend who had died in his sleep. And we yeah. were just like, Oh, and it like begins the show and she, he died from, um, it, it's like a health thing and opiates. So he had in in 2008, when she wrote this, we weren't, uh, we weren't aware of the opioid crisis, but as you're reading this now, it's like, oh yeah, people used to take those like 120 milligram, like opioids and overdose in a night. Yep. Yeah. And I think I'm sure again, we'll continue to talk about this. But one of the things I was so struck by, in addition to her vulnerability, was specifically she's so ahead of her time how she's talking about addiction, mental illness. She is very, very upfront that she suffers from bipolar disorder. And it's like, just lays it out like it's nothing. And especially back in 2008, I imagine that that was pretty, you know, exclamatory, like pretty crazy. Now, a little more normal, but still very, you know, very powerful. And the fact that she was doing this over a decade ago, I think, is incredibly significant. Yes. And doing it with so much humor that everyone could, um, you know, people don't like tough information. And she handed it out with, you know, a ball of jokes. I will also say she's an iconic um, she's an iconic sex figure, like yeah, Princess Leia yeah. in the gold bikini. Like this is not who society even mm-hmm. accepted as someone who could have um, a, a mental health, you know, bipolar right. uh, issue. So that also was huge. And so, actually, I want to. Re- uh, so again, she talks about being bipolar. She is bipolar two, which is the extreme mood disorder. And yeah. at the beginning of the book, she's like, I want you to know, I just got out of electroshock therapy. She just drops that, like, this is the most casual statement in the world. I was like, <laughs> I know. And I'm like, and she said, like, she'd put it off for so long because it sounds um, so intense. And like, I yes, am also correct. one of those correct, people Carrie. where like, Wait, I I still can't wrap. Do you know anything about electroshock therapy? Like, I can't wrap my head around it. She makes a joke, which is where my brain goes, of, like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Or, you know, it's different. But, like, I think a Shutter Island where they're, you know, like, doing lobotomies and stuff. I know that's different. But, like, any sort of, like, invasive shit. I don't know. Right? Yeah. It's, like, cuckoo's nest is the only sort of, like, grounding I have with that. Yeah. And it's tough because I remember a time when I would think of, 
um, meds like Zoloft or Xanax. Like, whoa, like that, like those are crazy. I hope that's never me. And now I'm like, I pray at the altar of my Zoloft every day. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I don't, I don't know if this is one of those things where it's like, oh, it seems intense, but it's actually like can help, but it feels so dated in my heart that I'm like, it feels very dated. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I am not an expert by any means, but I feel like it got phased out because the the effects were more harmful than the the benefits. But yeah, yeah. Well, and then she yeah. lists. Um, she said, "Here's a portion of the folks with whom I share Electro Company." I loved this. Judy Garland. Okay, so we know that one didn't end well. Didn't uh, work very well. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Styron. Sylvia Plath did also did not end well. Cole Porter, Lou Reed, Vivian Lee, Yves Saint Laurent, who I I did not know that about. Um, Connie Francis, Ernest Hemingway, Dick also Cabot, didn't go well. Kitty Dukakis. A lot of did not go wells. Yeah, um, and but a lot of people who are celebrated artists or celebrated figures, you know. And so yeah, yeah. Um, it also made me think of Kanye. Uh, because mm, Kanye is bipolar and yep. has this huge artistic creativity. And I think one of the reasons sometimes people put off getting help is because they think if they heal um, the mental issues they're dealing with, they'll stop being artistic, which is not true. But I think it's a fear people have. Chelsea, I love that you brought that up because I think that there is um, – I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, especially as somebody, you know, who is, is counseled for financial advice. I think one of the narratives that gets perpetuated is that you have to deeply suffer as an artist, yeah. right? And so either financially suffer, like you can't make money, and if you do make money, you've quote-unquote sold out, right? Or you have to, yeah, drink yourself to death, or you have to, you know, yeah, consume drugs. Like pain, crazy pain sex. equals success. Right, uh, right, success. right. Right, and that, you know, if – that trauma is almost currency for your art. And yeah. of course, like on paper, that's not true, but yet we still kind of believe it because I think a lot of the great artists, right. were very tortured people yeah, because they, you know, they had those sorts of, you know, yeah, either mental health issues or that kind of thing. But also I think it was just maybe perpetuated and made worse by the fact that that narrative continued. So it was just really interesting to hear her story and hear all the names you just you just listed off and yeah. considering people like Kanye who we know, you know, have so much brilliance to offer the world but also are so uh yeah, they have so much trauma. So much trauma. Well, I and I have to say like I 1000% prescribe prescribed to that when I was younger, right. especially cuz like right. I did have like a lot of um trauma growing up and like the fact that that could become art is kind of like the only thing you have. It's like what she said, it's like totally. if you don't have art, you just have a terrible life. So like, you know, right. and and But then yet, I think like, like is your art less significant if you don't have a horrible childhood or, you know, a mental illness? Like what of the quote unquote and I put on this is very insulting, but like the normal people, like can they can can they produce art? I think the answer is yes, but like is that less significant art in the eyes of a community? I don't know. Right, right. Well, it's interesting too because I I, I do think sometimes if you don't know any suffering at all, you cannot speak to those who have suffered. But oh, that's not true for every point. No, that's you know a great I mean? point though. Yeah, I think yeah. Like if your art speaks it speaks regardless of where it came from and how you lived and who you are right I do think maybe a stereotype would be people who have no lived experience have nothing to say but that's not to say that people who had a lovely lived experience they have lovely you know what I mean whatever they have to right. say I think it's I think if the art is good the art is good yeah um, totally and I do think getting help for your mental health does not uh, make your art suffer and I hope I hope I am here to prove it um Okay, so another thing I wanted to point out is Republican Greg dies in her bed. Yes. You can tell it's at one of her big parties. I don't know if you know this, but I read Penny Marshall's memoir a long time ago. It'll come on the podcast. But Penny Marshall and Carrie Fisher were best, 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 best friends. Mm. Um, and they used to throw these yearly Hollywood parties together. I wondered if it was that, but we'll come back to that. Okay, now let's get to Star Wars because I think we both have a lot to say. Okay. So I want to read this page. She said, 43 years ago, George Lucas ruined my life. And I mean that in the <laughs> nicest way possible. And now, 72 years later, people are still asking me if I knew Star Wars was going to be that big of a hit. 
Yes, of course I knew. We all knew. The only one who didn't know was George Lucas. We kept it from him because we wanted to see what his face looked like when it got a changed expression. And he fooled us even then. He got Industrial Light and Magic to change his facial expression for him and THX sound to make the noise of a face changing expression. <laughs> she just like rips him a new one, but is also like, hi, I owe everything to you, but also... I'm going to rip you a new one. Yes. <laughs> so good. And I'm so happy I have a Star Wars fan to talk to me about this because I have something. I, ha- I have a theory. Okay. Her okay. next two sentences were, not only was he virtually expressionless in those days, but he also <laughs> hardly talked at all. His only two directions to the three of us in the first film were faster and more intense. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup how I got my break into Hollywood, when I found out my dad was not my real dad, the time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah, growing up around cults, how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay. Okay. I'm so ready. Can I get on a soapbox for a second? Please. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Here's the deal with George Lucas. Okay, I okay. literally, Chelsea, I wrote a, an opinion piece for my college newspaper about George Lucas. Amazing. So this is the most full circle moment. I've always wanted somebody to give me a platform about this. Okay. I can't so, wait. So George Lucas is a visionary. Mm. He is not a director. He is yes. not a screenwriter. Ah. He is a visionary. Yes. He is not a good director and he's not a good screenwriter. Everybody shits on the prequels so hard. Everybody shits on him so bad. Yeah. I love episodes two and three. Episode three of Star Wars is wow. my favorite Star Wars. That is my most controversial opinion. It is the hill I will die on. I fucking love that movie. But you know what's awful about that movie and why everybody shits on it? The screenplay's awful. Because yes. he wrote it. That's why episode five, Empire Strikes Back, is so good, is he didn't write it. He did the general story and the, like, the visionary direction, but he did not write that screenplay. That's why it's so good. Wow. So like, this is the perfect example Natalie Portman's kind of talked about it too, but in better, like more uh, complimentary language. He's not a good director. He doesn't know how to direct. He's not yeah. really a people person. He's yeah, a yeah. nerd. He's a fucking nerd. So he's great at, you know, coming up with worlds and deciding what it's going to look like and deciding what the general story is. He's not good at getting uh, act- good acting from people and he's not good at writing a script. I... <laughs> could that's, not that's agree my, with my... you more. I, I, I could not agree with you more because I wrote after she wrote that direction. I said, I knew it. He does suck because <laughs> in, in the prequels, you can t- all they do is talk faster and more intense. There's no, yes. I don't want to say no. Anakin, but there's... You're breaking my heart. 
you're going down a path I can't follow. Like, everybody shits on those movies. You have Natalie Portman, who's so fucking talented. You have Ewan McGregor. Hayden Christensen gets so much shit. He is a great actor. Go watch Shattered Glass. It's great. It's just the screenplay is awful. And his direction is directed well. Yeah. And, okay, so here's my, I wonder your thoughts on this. So, for a long time, there's been a little conspiracy going around that his wife, Marsha Lucas, who edited the first three films, was actually the genius behind the first three because she was with him on set. She was Mm, there and she weighed in heavily. And then, this is her quote for the prequels. She said, when I went to see episode one, I had a friend who worked at, ILM, who took me as a guest to the preview. I remember going out to the parking lot, sitting in my car and crying. I cried. I cried because I didn't think it was very good. And I thought he had such a rich vein to mine, a rich palette to tell stories with. He had all those characters. That's George Lucas's ex-wife crying. I was going to say, it's got to be ex because there's no way she's making that comment. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. No, she's not even invited to the, she's like a friend yeah, has that's, to take that her. that was my next question. I was like, wait, um, who? So the conspiracy is that she's behind him. Yeah, okay, interesting. I actually haven't heard that theory. Again, we, you know, any good feminist knows that men have been taking their wives' work and, you know, putting their name on it for years. For yeah, yeah. Eons, just with how we know art gets produced. That's not shocking, necessarily. Oh, yeah, 100%. And then, I mean, the other thing I will plug here, I can't believe I'm plugging it, but did you ever see the Red Letter Media review of star wars you have to Tori, especially as a fan okay so granted of it, the original of the prequels okay so it's red letter media i will link to it so the story behind this is uh late one night i was having a lot of anxiety about some job and an ex-boyfriend of mine i was i couldn't sleep and he put this video on so part of my love might be really garbled because I don't know how to explain what it is. It's basically a review of the prequels and I'm sorry, Tori, why they're so bad, but done in a character voice. And it has this own storyline behind it. So you can see that the person reviewing it, like has their own creativity and storytelling, which is nice. Interesting. Okay. Um, it's only 10 minutes long. And if you're interested in storytelling or filmmaking, anyone who's listening, I recommend it for just that because they do a comparison between the first Star Wars that came out and the second one that about character that like will change people's writing. It's like, it's a one-on-one, but it like changes how you write characters when you see the difference. Yeah. I'll plug it. Um, Okay. Well back to Carrie. She's hired on the movie. She is 105 pounds and she says that she's been told she might get fired because she's fat and has to lose 10 pounds that makes her a 95 pound woman when she is in the gold bikini chains to Jabba the Hutt I am so upset I'm literally speechless like what the (laughs) fuck do I say at that like uh, no it's so much bullshit it's so painful and and here's even if you're like okay well in that year our standards on women yes 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 let me take it a step further so she's wearing a bra under her dress, you know, as you do. <laughs> and sorry. George Lucas comes up to her and he says, you cannot wear a bra. You can't wear a bra the whole movie. I'm sorry. And she's like, "I'm okay, why? And he says, because, because in space, there's, there's no, no in underwear. Space. And, but there's, there's clothes. No there's clothes and like a also, cafeteria a and a store. In a, in a bra form two movies <laughs> later. You're so right. And he but basically said... Because of gravity, even though they're walking on the planets, gravity would take the, push the underwire up and strangle. I think it was more he wanted to make a costume choice and didn't know how to put it delicately because it's a man talking about a woman's breasts. And he's like, I'll just make up some stupid shit about how you can't have a bra in space. Oh, yeah. He just wanted her to show nips the whole movie. But the interesting thing is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen Star Wars, like New Hope, the original Star Wars in a hot second. The fabric, there's like a couple layers of fabric. I don't think you're seeing anything, at least in that one. Like the the classic white dress that we first see her oh, in when yeah. she's on Darth Vader's ship. Like we don't see anything. Well, so I don't think. I mean, she it's said she was wearing gaffer's her, tape. So he makes her take her bra off and she she tapes her boobs every day and then has to rip the tape off. I was like, you Ow. Are a monster, dude. Um, I'm so I glad you put hair it in on my there. nipples. No, thank you. I mean, come okay. on, we're not looking to wax those nipples every day. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank okay. you. George Lucas owns 
Carrie Fisher's likeness. So he can replicate dolls and posters of her however much he wants, which is why there is a sex doll of Carrie Fisher that makes money for Star Wars. I think that was the crazy part of me reading the book was realizing, like, not only, of course, was she a sex symbol, but specifically a sex symbol for very nerdy people. Like, I think that that's such a specific, like, genre or niche. Yes. You know, like, it's so interesting to think about. It's a specific fan base. Yeah. Given that you are the financial feminist and you like Star Wars, I have to tell you this, my one little weird Star Wars story. Tell me. So, my brother's loved Star Wars. And there was a time in our life where we didn't have channels, but we did have the TV box and a VCR. And Star Wars went on every single day. So cut to later. I'm a comedian. I'm at a show. My director's backstage with us. And I say something like, I have seen Star Wars like 300 times. And I don't get to the part where I'm like, because my brothers put it on every day. Like, my brother read all the books. Like, I, I, I respect Star Wars, but I'm not, I'm not a diehard fan. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Before I get to that sentence, he says, oh, really? Name every title of every movie in order. This is my director. <laughs> like, I hate men. No, that's literally, like, I wear, um, I have, like, a Def Leppard shirt I wear all the time. And it's the yeah. same shit where it's like, okay, are you just wearing that shirt because you think it's cool? I'm like, no, I didn't buy this at Target. I bought it on their tour like eight years ago when they're all old because that's how much I love Def Leppard. Like I'm in yes. the crowd for, but also, you know, how dare you? Breathing. And what if I did buy it at Target? Like right. go and fuck it, yourself. Totally. It doesn't fucking matter. I'm also, no, I hate that shit where it's like, no. prove, 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 prove. Well, the most embarrassing part, and this is why I bring it up, because I swear to God, once a month I think of this and get a point of angry that, like, like other things in my life matter more. I will... Like, irrationally upset. I was so angry at him for doing that to me, and I'm not actually a diehard Star Wars fan. I've just seen it a lot. I went blank. Like, as if Mm. I couldn't answer it. Mm -hmm. And every... Like, I have dreams where I go back to that moment Mm -hmm. and can't answer that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, oh, it haunts me. One day, one day I'll get him in my dreams. No, I love it. Okay, this feels like a good time to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I just want to tell you guys about another podcast you might enjoy. It is called Mega and it is run by my friends Holly Laurent and Greg Hess. And Mega is an improvised satire set inside a fictional mega church. And each episode, they bring on a guest, and the episode is fully improvised about the lives that go on at this mega church. Past guests have included Cecily Strong, the Sklar Brothers, Ashley Nicole Black, who you guys know from this podcast, and also Cecily, Eliza Koo, Scott Atzit, and yours truly. We did an improvised episode. Tonal Comps, it's like a Christopher Guest movie if you like that in podcast form. And it was named one of the Guardian's best comedy podcasts of 2020. And Holly and Greg are just such lovely people. And so I wanted to give their podcast a special shout out. You can subscribe to Mega on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now back to our episode. Okay, welcome back. So let's dive back into the book. So then in the book, she, well, in the book and in her life, Carrie Fisher marries Paul Simon. And like I did in, not know this, by you the way. You did it? Uh, no, I had no idea. I was like, she's like talking about a musician up top that's famous. And I was like, who is it? And I was like, I'm going to resist Googling. And then she's like, oh, Paul Simon. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, I had no idea. And then, I'm sure you're going to say this, but what? They got divorced and then they kept dating. Yes, which is the most toxic. I mean, what are we doing? Um, wow. Well, Uh, The reason I did know about Paul Simon is not because I knew it from Carrie Fisher. It's because, again, I read Penny Marshall's book. Here's one of the reasons I love this friendship. Carrie Fisher married Paul Simon. Her best friend, Penny, dated Art. And Art and Paul become enemies, but these two best friends are dating. Because women are better. Yes. I did not know. That's crazy. It's so good. And um, I will say uh, Penny Marshall in in 2018 said this about Carrie. She said, I want to thank Carrie Fisher, my friend and partner in crime for more than 30 years. We've lasted longer than all of our marriages combined. Uh, Our crazy lives have meshed perfectly. They're one of my favorite best friendships. 
I tell that to my best friend all the time. I'm like, you know what? Men have let me down all the time. You're still here. You're my favorite fucking person. Like, I wish we celebrated female friendships just as much as we celebrate romantic relationships because they are as much, if not more significant. Like Tori, mm. welcome to the TV show I'm currently pitching because how dare we not have this? Seriously, I'm going to bring you on and be like, Tori said. Oh my God. Um, we, we do friend moons every year. This is like our infamous thing oh. that Christine and I do. Christine's my best friend. We go on honeymoon style trips as best friends and we just like hold each other's hand and tell each other how much we love each other for 10 days. It's great. I mean, it's... I completely agree. It's more significant. And I will also say this because I, um, uh, anyone who listens to the podcast a lot will be like, Chelsea, we know. But um, I also had the same thing where I was like, men hurt you, men destroy you. Women uh, are the best. And yep. so a best friend will never leave you. So when one does, my life was like destroyed. Destroyed. It's very hard. More than it's worse any, than a breakup. Worse than, but like a million times worse than a breakup. A million times yeah. worse than your director telling you to name every Star Wars film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's because female friendship is just so meaningful. Totally. Um, and listen, and who, who can say I they did. dated Paul and Art? I know, but I did love how she spoke about him. She gave us like some back and forth dialogue between her and Paul of like fights they had. And it sounds fucking toxic. Oh, but yeah. But the way she talks about him is like still like very lovely. Like she's like, oh, he wrote songs about me and I really appreciated that. Like it's like, it seems like even if they are not speaking, she still thinks highly of him, which I think yes. is really beautiful. Yes, I totally agree. She did give us some dialogue from a fight, which I love. It was juicy. It was spicy. I want to read it. She said, um, she said, once we had a fight, parentheses, on our honeymoon, where I said, not only do I not like you, I don't like you personally. We tried to keep the argument mean? going after that, but we were laughing too hard. Yeah, and then it continued. So I married Paul at 26. We divorced when I was 28. And at 29, I went into rehab. Which, I, oh boy. I mean, whoo. And also, Carrie Fisher, um, she she has bipolar. She also is an alcoholic. And she is, she's a drug user to the point of uh, affliction. And so yeah. she, but she kind of convoluted all these things. Like she didn't know what what was what or like what was happening until later in life where she realizes the, the things that she is dealing with. Yeah. Actually, this leads into page 104 perfectly. She said, no matter what the dictionary says, in my opinion, a problem derails your life and an inconvenience is not being able to get a nice seat on the underrailed train. Given that I've had three and a half problems, a dead guy in my bed, substance abuse and manic depression. My final little problemette stems from the difficulty I seem to have in romantic relationships. Specifically, I'm refer referring to the last categorically serious relationship I had. I was left by a man for a man. Billy's father left me for a man named Scott when she was one year old, making Scott the man who got the man who got away. She's so good. <laughs> She's also, so we good. haven't talked about this. Billy Lord is her daughter. I think a lot of people also don't know that because yeah. they have different last names. But Billy Lord, uh, incredible actress and musician, um, yeah, is her is her only. Child. Is her daughter and her dad is an agent who. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that first. I want to ask you, do you subscribe to that definition of problems? Ooh. Yeah, I think when she defines it like that, I would probably use problem in a sentence the way she's using inconvenience, but I mm. agree. It's almost like capital P problem. Yeah. like the big, the big boy problems. And I love, yeah, inconvenience is just like, oh, fuck, my car got towed. Problem yeah. is like, I'm addicted to painkillers. Like, yeah. very Although different. <laughs> I, I read that because, you know, you immediately think of your own life. It's like, oh, well, then how yeah. many problems do I have in my life? And I was I like, know. I still have like 20. And I was like, maybe I haven't gotten the hang of this definition thing. Oh, see, I, I'm honestly now I'm thinking and I, I'm like, I think my control issues. I think that's the only thing I'm still honestly Oof. completely working on. That's a tough one because it has so many benefits to your life. Like control issues can give you a lot of great things. Oh, you're things. saying the problem is beneficial? Don't tell me that because oh, I'll keep it. I don't know. I'm not saying it's entirely <laughs> beneficial, but I'm saying I'm sure you became this way because a lot of that behavior paid off in beneficial ways. And now it's mm -hmm. even harder to let it go, even though it sometimes hurts you because it helps yes. so much. Because no one's to be trusted and I have to do it myself. No, that's not real. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, that the, is real. That is where it comes from. You think, yeah. yeah. No, but I honestly, 
obviously I don't believe that as more a joke, but I it's constantly trying to control the future and then I'm anxious when the future doesn't go my way and it's like, well, shocker, you can't you have no control over this thing. Yeah. But yeah, I think it is a different it's an interesting way that the difference for her between problems and she only has, yeah, three and a half versus inconveniences. Well, I did really like to because she has had such a she has had a lot of difficult things in her life, but yeah. one of the things I love most about this book is that she did grow up rich. She did grow up in Hollywood. Usually when I'm reading these books and it's a nepotism book, I'm just like, nepotism, nepotism. You know what I mean? I'm like, because I, again, it's my own bullshit of like, I, I didn't know a soul. So to get totally. here, I didn't I didn't know a friend who knew a friend who knew a friend. Like I, I, right. So whenever someone had a hand up, I always experienced this unfair envy. And with Carrie, not at all, because the way she knows who she is and I think one yeah. of this in this, these problems things like she knew she knows she grew grew up rich she knows all these things even though she dealt with all this other horrible stuff her perspective on it I think is really special compared to other people who maybe had a leg up in life and don't want to admit it. I wanted to ask you about this because the first page of the book, like most books, is like all of the reviews right and the accolades, and probably every other review was like, "I'm shocked she's this good," which like yes. Like, I had the impulse the same way of, like, okay, she's an actor who had famous parents. Like, how ta- again, how talented yes. is she, right? Yeah. And then I read him, too, and I'm like, that's such a fucking insult of, like, I'm shocked she's so talented and smart and well-spoken, you know? And I wanted yeah. your thoughts on that because that was my initial when I, read the, when I read the front. And I had the same response in myself where I was like, actually, that was a really good book. I mean – yeah, gosh. Also, like, talk about internalized misogyny because misogyny. Def- exactly, exactly, definitely, that's how I felt. And I think, yeah, I think it, she is the gold bikini job of the hut sex girl, right? And so when she's also one of the most talented writers of her generation, who storytellers, put- you're just like she's an actor, actress, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I remember finding out that she uh, fixed. Hollywood screenplays for years behind the scenes like and I actually there's something online I'll see if I can find it again where you can see her notes in a script and the the amount of detail that she puts in the screenplay she's changing you're like this is one of the most talented minds like she would have been a famous writer no matter Mm. who she was born to but I mean I have the same thing and this is I'm I I own it like very fucked up of me because I am a woman and I am a comedian and I do dabble in like high femme shit. Whenever a comedian gets on stage in like bikini top, hot girl, I am praying they're amazing. And if yep. they're not, I'm much angrier than I am at all the fucking loser dudes in jeans yep. and a sweatshirt who suck. I know. Me and too. I, because I think about myself, I'm like, you're doing this for all of us. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like you have to pull through. Right. Um, and it's it's my own bullshit. No, I completely agree. I think, I mean, I've experienced so much internalized misogyny in my work and the, the yeah, really harmful finances. shit comes from women. No, totally. It comes from women. Like that's, yeah. that's the shit that, that I think really stings. And I have my own internalized misogyny. I talked about this on the podcast of like, I hated Taylor Swift for a really long time. Like, oh, I, I heard you talk like about this. Yeah, yeah. Did not like her. And it was 100% internalized misogyny. So yeah, I was, you know, yeah, reading those reading those, those quotes and it was interesting to watch it happen in myself where I was like, oh, she's not just an actor, which fine, you can be just an actor. That's ridiculous of me to like think you have to be, quote, more than that. And But yeah, my own internalized misogyny of like, oh, this book is actually very good. She's very, she's very funny. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I will say, I think the, the. I'm, I'm, it's dismal. It's not positive, but you and I—you're currently in a beautiful, bold red lip. Um, you are a young woman. Only you ha- here's the deal: only because I shot content this morning for a brand. That's the only reason I'm wearing any sort of makeup today. Okay, That's well, it. somehow I'm not in makeup, and I wear a bold lip when I wake up. Like it's a shock. I'm not matching you right now, but I just want to <laughs> say, like, I should above all not have internalized misogyny. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. and so the Me fact too. that it can happen right. inside my own right. brain is just fucking dismal (laughs) yeah but it's just like you know we all we all learn this this is going to take a harsh turn for a second and then i'll wheel it back in but like 
uh, you know, 2020, I think, was a really great, great reminder to all of us that we're at least a tiny bit racist, even if we don't think we are, because we grew up in a society and a system that's racist, right? Just like we're a little bit ableist and we're all a little bit sexist. And that's um, not necessarily actively our fault unless we're, you know, choosing to be that. It's the system and the society that exists that we were raised into. So yep. as long as we can uh, acknowledge that and see it and do our best to work through it, um, cool. I think that is so well said. And actually, I think it's a very positive thing, too, because when you do find yourself participating in this or having a thought, listen, blame it on society, blame it on our magazines, and then just choose not to follow it. And voila, good person. (laughs) Shame judgment to yourself does not, it does nothing. It does nothing. Society's already focused on shaming and judging us constantly. So if you are also at war with yourself, that's just bad. So like, oh, that's an interesting thought. Why am I thinking that thought? No shame or judgment. Interesting. Anthropologist in my own life. Okay, moving on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, speaking of moving on, let's talk about her (laughs) husband, who was an agent who marries her. She said he bathed her like a dog in a bath. And I was like, I would marry that too. Like, wow. Same. I was like, I just want to be taken care of. Speaking of like misogyny, I'm like, yes, I'm a powerful woman. I'm out here. I will make more money than you. God damn it. But also please take care of me. Please bathe me like a dog. (laughs) But then the craziest thing is that. They get married, she gets pregnant, she has Billy, and a year later, he comes out as gay. And she says he forgot to tell her, and she forgot to notice. (laughs) Um, And I I don't know anything about this agent, but it is tough that he marries a huge celebrity, has a child, and as an adult man, then, you know what I mean? It's, It's tough. And then... She, um, talk about shame, when she goes into a mental hospital, you have to check yourself in. She has a a breakdown. She goes to mental hospital. She signs her name, shame. So they're like, write your name here and you'll, you know, you'll check yourself into rehab. And she writes shame. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and then on page 143, she wrote this thing that again, talk about being ahead of her time. She said, I didn't realize I actually had post-traumatic stress disorder at the time, but why would I think I had that? Anyway, how would I know which was post-traumatic stress, which is addiction, which is bipolar, which is Libra? Also, I thought you had to go to Iraq to get post-traumatic stress disorder, and you do, but you can also just come over to my house. <laughs> um which definitely deeply speaks to me and like, yeah, we, we really didn't think you could have PTSD or CPTSD without a certain set of um, like war. It was war. Right. And so, but then it meant that a lot of people went undiagnosed and just suffered um, without it because, quote unquote, things weren't bad enough to create the things you're currently suffering from. And I just love that she wrote that. Yeah, well, and to her point, you don't know you're suffering from it until you know you're suffering from it. Yeah. Right. It's like one of my favorite people in my life has PTSD and yeah, it was the same sort of thing in conversations with, with this person where they were like, Oh yeah, it's for people who have gone to war. It's not for me. Right. And you don't, you don't realize that this is what you're going through unless one, you have access to a professional and two, that professional understands the signs and can, you know, glean from that what's actually going on. And those two things actually very rarely happen. So, that is yeah. so true. And, you know, I've said it on this podcast, but because this is such a mental health thing, I, I also have CPTSD. And one of the best days of my life was getting diagnosed. Because I hear that a lot with friends who got, you know, get a later in life autism diagnosis where it's like, oh, it finally makes sense. Finally, finally. Yeah. And like, there's something uh, for me, I, think I, I think cause I was so high functioning. Yeah. It's just, it felt impossible. You know what I mean? It's right. just like, well, how am I doing so well? And then when you unfold the things, you're like, oh, actually I'm not, but uh, these surface things checked off, but like you can be a very high functioning person and still have some mental health things to talk about. And what you right. just said about like, you have to have access to healthcare and it has to be someone trained in trauma. I also think that's why the lists of people in this book who are bipolar and how much shock therapy are white. I was just going to say that. And it's a list of very celebrated people, right? Who, you know, she's almost making the point of like, you wouldn't expect Vivian Lee or, you know, 
Cole Porter to yeah. have, you know, some sort of bipolar disorder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, white, when I read it, white. I was like, wow, there's, it's only historical famous white people. It just reminds you of like all the non-white people who've never got help to never even get the label to end up on right. that list. Right. Totally. Um, it's great to acknowledge. But it does lead to Carrie doing, uh, she, when she has her drug usage, her mom would freak out and call Carrie Grant. And, you know, she just this knows Carrie Grant. <laughs> oh my God, this story. Yeah. It was so good. I mean, because she's Debbie Reynolds, so she'd be like, Carrie Grant, you famously did acid once. Please, please, please help, help my, my daughter. daughter. She's drugged. She's scared her straight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Carrie Fisher gets these hour-long phone calls from Carrie Grant in her adult life where she's like, you know, I did acid once. That's not really what I'm suffering from. But then they have these like beautiful long conversations and Carrie Grant keeps calling her to <laughs> tell her to stop using drugs. And my favorite is she's like, obviously I'm famous. I grew up with famous parents. Nobody phases me except Carrie Grant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. And then, so the book ends, um, it ends with this Star Wars callback that, um, that, that is great where she like goes into the whole Star Wars speech that we played at the beginning. But before that, this is the last part I want to read. She said, I'd like to share some of the things with you that I've learned from going through all of this nonsense. Resentment is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. Apparent, oh. a, it's a poison I drink oh. every morning. Oh, and I drink it happily. It's like with yeah. champagne. I'm like, put yum, it, yum, 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 Put yum. it in my coffee. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> resentment. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> she said, saying you're an alcoholic and an <laughs> addict is like saying you're from Los Angeles and California. It's so good. It's so good. It's so perfect. And then some of the wisdom I've gotten from my grandmother, my mother's mother, the closet locker who taught me. Oh, because she locks in her closet. A fly is likely to land on shit as it is on pie, which is true if you think about it. She also said, cry all you want. You'll pee less. I don't think that's true. But the main thing I've learned, I learned all by myself. No help needed. I learned not to get my tongue pierced. Because if you're getting it pierced for the reason why I think you're getting it pierced and you're not good at that thing to begin with, no little piece of jewelry is going to save the day. That one. <laughs> the specificity, we, I mean, I don't have to tell you, right? Comedy, good comedy is specificity. Yeah. Oh, the specificity, like, so good Yeah. in that so, joke. Like, just, oh, that's so good. That you'll, oh, you'll, tick, you'll just tickle it better with a barbed ball in your tongue. <laughs> Um, so, so good. Um, okay. So Tori, we end every podcast with two things. One is a thank you to the author and, Mm. you know, we've really kind of been doing it this whole podcast, but wow. Um, thank you, Carrie Fisher for, I mean, first off, there's some documentary where she's wearing, um, uh, glitter on her eyes every day. And she's like, look at this shit. You just cover your eyes in glitter. And I was like, you are my hero. Um, but God, her, her, her mental health, um, advocacy, being this like sex icon who's this incredible writer, I think is like, I don't know, my religion. Can I have a religion? That's my religion. Great. Um, and she's just so funny and like, just, it's just such a gift to like laugh so hard in a book. Yeah. Literally, you just said like, let's thank Carrie Fisher. And I got tears in my eyes. I know. I it's saw just, like, that. You like realized like, you know, I, there's so many people, right, whose work you end up celebrating after they're after they're yeah. they're dead, after they've passed. And like this book was just like, oh God, I wish I would have known more about her life while she was still living. Me too. There was one section too in the book where she it was very brief, but it was very poignant because of what happened. She talked about like going through her mother's house and Debbie Reynolds telling her to like mark the things she wanted in her house when she died. Yeah. And of course, as we all know, I think what Carrie Fisher died first. Her mother died three days later. Yeah. And they were neighbors. They They lived next door to each other. I think about like what Billy's experience must have been of grieving the loss of her mom and then immediately grieving the loss of her grandmother. Yeah. Um, And so it was just, it's such a, she was just, yeah, this book is fantastic. And you just realize like, yeah, I I didn't know a lot about her life. I didn't know a lot about her work outside of, you know, Star Wars or when Harry met Sally. And it was just like, oh gosh, okay. Well, I, I'm here now. Let's, let's you know, learn more about her and let's celebrate her work for what it is now.
That is so well said. Cause yeah, what a light, what a light in this yeah. world. And what a, yeah. you just said Harry Met Sally. It just reminds me, I think Carrie Fisher was like meant to be the friend in every movie and got to be the leading woman. And which, and, and she's also like, fuck you, George Lucas. It's just like the <laughs> woman we needed and wanted. And I wish I had known her earlier too. Well, and speaking of like being a friend in a movie, like this book feels like a friend is telling you all the shit that they just went through. Yes. You know? Yes. Like they're si- you're sitting on a couch and you're drinking whiskey. She's not because she is, <laughs> she's <laughs> past that in her life now. You know, but like sitting and talking about all of that. Like it's just, yeah, it's just, yeah. that's just a really fun read and very, very poetic and very ahead of its time for very ahead of it. Eight. highly recommend it which brings us to the very last thing it's called the book dual test um it has three questions um first one do you think the author shared her truth yes i say yes too all yeah. right second question was the book entertaining oh. beyond i mean it, one of the best the, the, you know a couple flaws in this book entertaining is fucking not one of them like Absolutely. That, this is it and last question, did reading this book elevate your life in some way? Oh, good question. I think I think actually weirdly talking to you about it has made it even more significant because mm. I ripped through it so quickly. And I was yeah. like, okay, that was a fun read. And then I kind of moved on with my life. But even actually just talking about it for the last hour, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. It was, it was really, really good. Same, so, same, yeah. same. I think like just knowing... Yeah, just knowing about her now. And then also, I think on a very practical level, I think it made my writing better. Um, I've been reading a lot of, like, other memoirs. And just remembering how powerful it is to um, not go off in your own (laughs) – not get lost in your own sauce. And remember that you are giving this writing over to others, you know? Totally. I just literally submitted my manuscript for my first book that's coming out later this year. Which Congratulations! Like, You'll have to come you. back. Oh my god, I would love that. It was like the hardest. If people who follow me know, I've talked about it so incessantly, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think one thing that, that like that she does so well is it is hundred percent her voice, and you either like mm. you love it or you hate it. And like, but it's I her. Think, yeah, it's totally her. And again, it sounds very. I think this is actually, you know, again, where like I had a bit of an issue with the book is it like doesn't feel like a book, but yeah. in that way, it's also beautiful where it just feels like somebody talking to you, a conversation. And so I've realized through yeah, m- me writing a book and writing, like you have to have your voice, even if it just comes in a little bit, you know, for me, I'm writing a financial book. So, you know, there's a lot of information I have to get yeah. across, but like, it's important that people hear that information as I would tell it to them. So I think absolutely. that that's, again, right. one thing that's she does absolutely beautiful. Why people love you and, and financial information right. is everywhere. You know what I mean? And But it's not accessible unless it's told in the right way, which is why totally. you are so special. And will you share right now with everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to your podcast, all of that stuff? Of course, this is one of my favorite interviews. Thank you for having me on. Oh, um, oh I'm I, honored. I am at her first hundred K on all the socials, H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T 100K. And I also host the Financial Feminist Podcast. And it, it will up-level your life. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Tori. And I can't wait to have you back when your book comes out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That is all for this week's episode. You can find everything we talked about on my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. I will post it all. And there is a Facebook group, you guys. It's been really popping lately. Celebrity Book Club podcast on Facebook. And if you want all of the bonus episodes and to tell me that you love this podcast, uh, I would love that. Go to patreon.com slash Chelsea Devantes. It is also linked in the Instagram. For $5 a month, you get all of the bonus episodes. There's a pay what you can option because we're cool like that. And there's some higher level level tiers that offer stuff like a private book club and uh, there's a bunch of stuff go go check it out a huge shout out to our producer kate downey and our episode engineer dj bouncy house and i will see you guys next week for another juicy book